Hello, neighbors. I am so excited for you to hear from Dr. Sam Illingworth today. Sam is an associate professor in academic practice at Edinburgh Napier University in the UK. His research and practice are concerned with using poetry to engender dialogue between different audiences, and in particular, to give voice to marginalized or underserved communities. Sam is also the founder of Consilience, the world's first peer-reviewed science poetry journal. In this special bonus episode, we get to hear more about Sam's work, along with the poem Deep Sea Plastics with Commentary. You can find more about his work by visiting his website, www.samillingworth.com, and connect with him on Twitter, at Sam Illingworth both of which I will link in the episode description. And now let's hear from the ever delightful Sam Illingworth. All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us here on Hometown Earth today. If you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, the work that you do. Hi, Lena. So I'm an associate professor at Edinburgh Napier University. And my work and research really is around using poetry as a way to connect different communities and in particular to help diversify science. So, you know, science is this thing that's really important for society, but it's just also really interesting and weird and strange and and scary. (laughs) And sometimes it's written in a way and in a platform that maybe not all audiences find accessible. So one of the ways in which I try to reach new audiences is using poetry as a medium through which to bring the science to those audiences. So I have a a blog and a podcast called The Poetry of Science, where every week I read a new piece of scientific research and then try to, I guess, present the research through the lens of poetry. So it's not necessarily creating a didactic poem that's um, going through tortured rhyme, explaining each of the methods, conclusions, etc. It's maybe just a way of recontextualizing the work and yeah, presenting it in a different way that hopefully people find enjoyable and accessible. Well, it seems to be that most of your work is centered around, um, you know, planetary health and the climate. Kind of what made you interested in that specifically and um, kind of what have you found from your work? Um, Maybe a joy that you found or a connection that you've discovered? Of course. So I have quite a strange background, actually. So I'm actually a climate scientist and atmospheric physicist by training. So I have a PhD in atmospheric physics um, and I used to use satellites and aircraft and drones to make measurements of greenhouse gases and other climatological issues, which is obviously super interesting and really important. But I also then kind of realized and discovered that there were lots of communities that were being ignored and neglected and not involved in decision-making processes or even made aware of environmental degradation or the climate crisis. So my work then transitioned away from um, a physical science approach to more of a social science approach in which I try to um, create dialogues between scientists and non-scientists, not just so that non-scientists can find out about scientists and support their work, but rather so that non-scientists can contribute their own lived experiences and tacit knowledge to the climate crisis and other debates as well. So yeah, I guess I was grounded in a very positivist mindset and now that's no longer where I am. 
thankfully. <laughs> wow, what that is quite a shift. I feel like that, you know, what you're doing is is very creative work, which a lot of people um, bridging that like science and, you know, I feel like more direct state of mind with the, the creative side of things really helps people to connect kind of exactly what your work is about. And you also wrote a book, A Sonnet to Science, that kind of highlights, um, you know, other groundbreaking scientists that have wrote poetry. Was there any common thing, theme that you noticed um, when writing that book? That's a really good question. So <clears throat> I will say that those six scientists are somewhat more successful than me. But the, I guess the, <laughs> commonal the commonality really there is that all of them turn to poetry at various points in their life as a way of helping them to make sense of the world. And it wasn't in a way that was mutually exclusive to science, but rather in a way that was really complementary and even congruent. And I think a lot of my work, as well as trying to diversify science, is exactly that. It's about trying to demonstrate how poetry and the arts more generally can live alongside science. And that, you know, they all produce different pieces to the same jigsaw. Neither of them have all of the answers, but together they can be read in a really, um, you know, complementary fashion. Yeah, I feel like that, you know, you've done really well at your work, even just, you know, you can see um, on your website, all the podcasts available. And as far as the poetry, you have that separate. And the comments are just, you know, people really thankful that they can understand what you're saying. And I think that's you're, you're getting across your message exactly how you want to. But how does this poetry kind of make you feel? How does it help you to connect deeper? I haven't really thought about it. No, that's a really great question. Um, I think what it helps me do is actually to connect to nature. So as I think as if you picked up on a lot of my work is written around the environment, the climate crisis, nature, etc. And actually, I'm really lucky, Lena, I live in the foothills of the Pentland um, Hill Range in just outside Edinburgh. And actually, when I write my poetry, I go up wow. into the hills to write it. So it really helps me connect with the research that I'm writing about at a base level, which is selfishly very good for my own mental health and well-being, but also I think helps to yeah, lend maybe a different lens to it as well. Well, I'm totally jealous of that view. I <laughs> wish I could record all of my podcasts and do all my writings up on a beautiful spot like that. I do have a window, though, so it's currently <laughs> snowing outside. That's what I'm viewing, but um, it's beautiful nonetheless. So, well, so the, the poem that, you know, we're going to hear today is um, about deep sea plastics. Um, is there any really like message that you want people to get out of the work that you're doing or this poem specifically about how they can um, essentially change their habits to to help solve some of these climate issues of course so i guess with deep sea plastics you know one of the key things is that we're seeing plastics even the most remote elements of the ocean you know it's kind of permeating everywhere and the two things, one, on a personal level, we can stop buying plastics because then that will remove the demand um, and will reduce the amount of plastics that are being made. So, you know, we can think about using more sustainable products or going to refill shops and things like that. 
But also a, a key message, I guess, for your listeners, Lena, is that people shouldn't have individual guilt about these things because even though as individuals we can make positive lifestyle changes, actually it's the role of government and industry to be leading on this. And it's very, very easy for government to try to reposition the guilt and the responsibility onto the individual, which shouldn't be the case. They should be the ones that are making large-scale changes with us making some changes to our lifestyle to hopefully benefit as well. So I just say remove individual guilt whilst also doing your bit to reduce the supply-demand issue of plastics. Well, that sounds exactly um, like the direction that we need to go. So I'm glad to hear that from you and excited for people to hear more of your work. Um, They can tune in to the Poetry of Science podcast every Monday. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Every Monday. And then what's what's another good way for them to connect with you and, and find more of your work? Yeah, so people can visit my website, just www.samillingworth.com or connect with me on Twitter, just at Sam Illingworth. And I'm always really interested to hear from people to talk about poetry, to talk about nature, to talk about climate, to talk about anything they want, really, um, and just find ways of working together to yeah, come up with interdisciplinary solutions to these global wicked problems such as the climate crisis. Deep Sea Plastics Sunken in the sediment, smudged relics protrude. Translucent waste that shimmers in its bed of filth. A menagerie of treasures that mark our spot in throwaway tracks. Cigarette butts, food wrappers, beverage bottles, bottle caps, grocery bags, straws, stirrers, lids and takeaways. These are our strata. Remnants of human sewage draped across the floor. A smear for future selves to measure ticking time against artificial fault lines and disposable lives. This poem is inspired by a recent study which reconsiders what is happening to plastic waste in marine and sedimentary environments. Environmental and health concerns associated with plastic pollution are a long-recognised international problem, making up to 80% of all waste that accumulates in the oceans and on the seabed. The source of such plastics range from commercial ships, vessels and fishing operations through to street litter, packaging and production waste. As these plastics degrade, they can leach out toxic substances, thereby poisoning the marine environment. Furthermore, micro-sized, between one micrometre and one millimetre in diameter, and nano-sized, smaller than one micrometre in diameter, plastic particles are increasingly becoming consumed by marine life that confuse them with food sources. Despite the damage that they can cause, studies of chemical and biological plastic degradation in deep seafloor sediments are sparse. This study highlights the need for further work in this area, observing that if some plastics can survive for more than 1,000 years on land, then they could potentially last for even longer periods of time in ocean trenches that are many kilometres beneath the surface and which exist in dark, cold and high-pressure environments. Similarly, it is unclear how long it takes larger plastics to break down into micro-sized and nano-sized plastics in the deep sea and what the exact impacts of this are on marine life. The study also highlights that it is not practical to simply extract the existing plastics from the sea floor, as to do so could be more damaging than to leave them in place and would potentially be on a par with the marine devastation caused by deep sea mining. 
The study concludes that geologists need to work closely with scientists from other disciplines, e.g. oceanographers, biologists and chemists, to better understand exactly what will happen to the plastics that are already in our oceans, thereby hopefully putting further pressure on policymakers and legislators to put an end to plastic pollution. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Hometown Earth as much as I did. Tune into regular episodes every Tuesday and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, believe.com, lenasanford.com, or connect on Instagram at Hometown Earth. We all know change needs to happen, so let's get started right here at Hometown Earth. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.